welcome everybody back to the next episode. Uh, this will kind of focus on all things pediatric home health, which I know absolutely nothing about. So I actually have Abby here with me as well as Megan, and they are both pediatric home health therapists. So I will kind of let them introduce themselves and then we'll get into all things peds. So I'm excited to learn along with everybody because like I said, the two things I've never wanted to do when I got into PT school was pediatrics or home health, but I ended up doing home health adults and home health peds is not it for me. So I'll, uh, if Abby, you want to kind of introduce yourself yeah. and how long you've been a PT and in peds, okay, adults sure. or... Um, my name is Abby. I work out of Dallas, Texas. I um, graduated PT school in 2017 and have been in home health peds ever since. So I guess that's, uh, you know, six years, something like that. So um, it's all, I, other than rotations in school, as, as a PT, it's all I've ever done. So you went in from a new grad perspective also. Yes, it was wow. a whole different okay. thing too, but I've, I have done some acute care peds um, with the Children's Hospital here in Dallas, but um, everything else has been uh, home health. Very nice. Okay, and then how about Megan? How about you? Hey, um, I have been a physical therapist for eight years now, and I have spent two of them, well, my whole career in pediatrics. Um, I spent the first two in outpatient pediatrics, and then I moved to home health. So I've been in um, home health here in North Carolina for about six years. And what's funny is in PT school, I had the same exact thought. I thought, I'm never going to do peds, and I'm never going to do home health. And here I am in pediatric home health, and I absolutely love it. My PT school self would never believe where I am right now. Oh, same. It's amazing how, <laughs> how you go into PT school or, you know, any therapy school. Oh, I'm going to do outpatient orthopedics and sports. Yeah. That's what I yep. want to do. And your exactly. mindset just changes. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And all it just took was one fantastic clinical in pediatrics and it completely changed my mind and I haven't looked back since. Awesome. Uh, so like I was saying, kind of for me, I've only ever done adults, and but I'm kind of here to learn a little bit with y'all and put in a couple questions that got sent in to me to discuss. And so for me, for adults or home health geriatrics, I'm kind of paid per visit. So I know some are hourly, but I'd like to kind of know how y'all get paid. Is it different in peds versus adults? And then most of my patients are homebound. I mean, so meaning they should be available during the day, but not, that's not always the case. But I have someone that kind of sent in a question regarding how about how to go about scheduling in with all the different dynamics that I think you find in peds with if if they're not homebound or school schedules or I don't know if they're they go to daycare or other classes or dealing with the parents. So just kind of any tips or tricks that you have regarding pediatric scheduling tips and, and then kind of what's y'all's pay like. So if you want to address is the pay different in pediatrics versus adults? Well, for me, um, I'm here in North Carolina and 
I know there's differences between state to state and how you can do um, home health for pediatrics. So in our state, we are all independent contractors. So we can see any child from zero to 21 um, for home health. And we do have contracts with our local EI program where we see the zero to three. Um, but because you know we're just a, a small business, so to say, um, we are a pay for service as well. So we get paid per visit. And I'm not sure what the rate is compared to adults, but I do know that since a majority of our patients are on Medicaid, our reimbursements are a lot lower um, than we would all like. So that kind of does get reflected in how much we are paid per visit. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes. I'm not sure about you, Abby, though. I'm curious to hear about um, yeah. your setup. Yeah. My setup is, I think, a little unique within the Pete's world um, because in Texas, um, I'm within the ECI agencies. It's all different agency to agency. We we are funded through the state partially, and then I'm actually with a nonprofit agency as well. So um, for me, it's a salaried position, um, but that's unique within Texas Home Health and, and just being familiar with other agencies within Texas. There's a lot of different private agencies that hire therapists um, who see zero to 20 um, and they their model is typically paid per visit. When I did home health private um, medical model, it was it was um, paid per visit. You got paid travel. Um, mileage rates were here and there a little different, but um, salary wasn't really a thing, which is definitely why I was more inclined and why I like um, the position I have within ECI because the salary is nice when it comes. Kids are often sick, parents, all the things. It just mm -hmm. takes that one aspect of stress off of worrying about cancellations and that sort of thing. Yeah, that, that is probably the hardest thing with the pay for service is if you get cancellations, your whole schedule and month can be really screwed up. Yeah, which we get that in adults mm -hmm. also of scheduling and um, cancellations same day. But is, is it different in peds for scheduling wise like i feel like you have to deal possibly with a lot more different dynamics mm -hmm. in yeah yeah pediatrics, i mean but for the zero to three population um it's at least a little hours we are able to say that we work like eight to four thirty um so that's a little unique in the younger kiddos um and we are supposed to see them within their natural environment so whatever that looks like whether they're at home um or daycare we can also see them at daycare so that makes it a little oh, easier yeah so that makes it a lot easier to um jump in honestly getting kids that go to daycare on your caseload tends to add some flexibility for when you do have a cancellation you can just text the parent real quick and say, hey, is Johnny at school today? Do you mind if I see him now instead of Thursday or whatever? And so it kind of adds that little bit of flexibility because at daycare, they're at daycare. The one caveat to that is at daycare, most kids nap from like 11 to 30 is like mealtime nap time. So oh, yeah. you're having to go like before that hours. or right <laughs> before that or uh -huh. after that. But otherwise, um, everything's typically eight to four. Them. Yeah, the daycare is hard. And actually I had one unicorn patient where the mom worked at the daycare. So she let me come there at 7.30 in the morning. That was awesome. That I get, like, and I always knew when he was yes. gonna be there. Um, but that never tends to happen, especially trying to get kids. The early morning spots are very hard to fill. Probably same with um, adults. 
Yes, they're also napping. Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> and Luckily, that's the, I late and they're tired. Yeah, I find that in peds, even if they're in daycare or not, the blackout hours truly are between like eleven and two because then you've got meal time and napping. Um, but like Abby said too, we are supposed to see them in their natural environment. So at least for my company. Um, we are able to like also see them in parks or go to romp and roll or certain things like that. If that's part of the, the family's daily activities, you know? Um, and then sometimes too, we try to work within routines. So I have seen a lot of kids during mealtime, if we're working on trunk control and head control, I provide, you know, assistance and tips on how to keep them in the high chair and things like that. So I think there is a huge variety, um, when it comes to when you can see your clients and trying to work that into your schedule. But the flexibility is pretty much the same, I think, as adult home, home health, at least for me. Um, but scheduling can just be a bear, especially with morning times. So it seems like scheduling is the worst part of adults and pediatric. Health. Yes, <laughs> one of the worst, <laughs> for sure. Do and you call the day before or do no. you set up? Um, <laughs> Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. Do you keep the I, same kids? Or yes. Do you have assistant? Do assistants do? I don't know. I have no idea. So, okay. So I, I can go first on this one. Yeah. Um, typically in pediatrics, you keep your patients for a lot longer than I, than I believe you would in home health for adults. Um, like I said, I've never done adult home health, but I'm just from what I'm assuming from, you know, looking at your Instagram and things. Um, typically we can keep kids for years. It really just depends on oh, what their wow, needs yeah. are, yeah, <laughs> what their, yeah. So, you know, it could be anywhere from like six months to a year, but I usually make my plan of care is a minimum of six months, um, usually one time a week, twice a week if they are very involved. Um, so when you have that, you have a full caseload, you pretty much have a set day and time for each child for the most part. You know, there's always unique situations here and there. Um, so when you go into your evaluation, that's when you go ahead and make your schedule and tell them, okay, I can come see you this day at this time. And then you usually keep that schedule from until that doesn't work for the child anymore. Um, for me, I have found that if I have to text parents the day before um, for every single visit, the one time I don't, then they won't be there. And yes. it somehow <laughs> becomes my responsibility um, to keep, to make them accountable for those visits. So I try for the first month or so to send them reminders, but after that, I try to put it on the parent that they have to be accountable um, for these visits and making sure that they tell me if they have doctor appointments, um, they have play dates or something else going on. And I find that if I have to text every single person the day before, A, I'm going to forget, but then all of a sudden it becomes my responsibility. And like I said, the one time I don't do it, suddenly it's my fault <laughs> and why, why we can't have the uh, visit. Yeah, huh. it's pretty, it's a lot similar within the zero to three population. Mm -hmm. De again, depending on diagnoses, some kids you literally might have for three years. The one mm -hmm. silver lining with ECI for the, maybe you just need, <laughs> you, you enjoy it all the time together. You can possibly stand. It is nice. Um, turn three. So it's like a natural, okay, mm -hmm. we're done here. Whereas I feel like with the older kiddos, there's not always a clear, um, Stopping yes, point. that can be, um, that is one of the most challenging things in this, on my side of the industry too, is just trying to figure out when you can discharge them to home exercise program. Yes. I feel yeah, like a lot of parents. always evolving, right? Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and some kiddos with, uh, I mean, like a kiddo with down syndrome, there's going to be probably some sort of physical ongoing need. Um, 
in some way or another, there's always something else to work on. And so parents and then just, it just lifestyle can become pretty dependent on like the therapist to be there all the time. And and we can end up looking like the bad guys for kind of saying like, look, like, I think it would be good. We've accomplished this goal, really defining with parents, like, this is the goal that I think we should work on. and, And we've accomplished that goal. Therefore, you need to focus on some other things right now. I think parents can be you talking about what are the things that are hardest about uh, peds, I think scheduling and then parents are the things that it really is. It's a lot like working with adults. So yes, you're, you're doing the physical therapy with the child. Exactly. But the social dynamic and, and all of those intricacies, you're still working with parents and often worried parents, anxious parents or um, uninvolved parents. So Mm -hmm. um, yes, that can be a, a sticky dynamic too with uh-huh. plan of care and all of those things. Yeah, I agree. So we and get that. Oh, so we get that on the same side, but we're we're dealing with the the kids of the patients, yeah. right? Uh-huh. The sons, the daughters, the family dynamics there. But I will say, the one of the big differences that I see is the keeping patients on for six months, a year. I mean where some people are six weeks or they're an ortho they're two weeks on or right i have some for two months sometimes max like four months depending on the complications and and comorbidities and diagnosis and stuff but yeah usually not longer than that and so you're seeing so many like i see 25 people a week and then i don't see those same people for another month so i'm seeing you know probably 80 maybe yeah. 80 people a month mm-hmm. that are all that would different. be that would be so difficult for me doing that because I feel like there's so many plan of cares you'd have to keep track of and just remembering the nuances of each patient their house how they live that would be really mm-hmm. challenging for me so I like keeping my you know 25 kids and then there's maybe a change here or there every couple of months so I would at least say in a way it can be difficult keeping people for a long time but in that sense you really do get a chance to build a relationship with the families. Um, and it's a lot too, like you get to watch them grow. And I think that is so rewarding. Um, I've had kids that, you know, chronologically they're like 13 days old. You know, I work with a lot of preemies, um, that come out of the NICU. And when I first meet them, they're chronologically, you know, 13 days old. And I see them all the way up until, you know, they're walking and they could be three years, five years. Um, but you really get to grow up with the kids and same with the parents too. And you build such a strong relationship with them. Um, so in a way, I would say the good, the bad, and the ugly of peds sometimes can be mm-hmm. the parents, the parents, the parents. Yeah, <laughs> I have, exactly. I have some um, parents that have become some of the, my best friends in the world after that. Even after I've discharged, we still connect, we still talk, especially um, now that I'm a mother, um, getting to have these mothers as role models for me as well. Um, and then sometimes, though, like Abby was saying, it can be very challenging where families become too dependent on you and they, their child only gets exercise or playtime when you're there. And of course that's not all families, but every dynamic is a little bit different. Um, so that can also be a challenging part, but with my company, we can still see children after they age out of the program since we're contractors with the County, um, EI program. But what I try to mentor all of the therapists, um, in my department is we really want to use the coaching model where we are continually 
trying to work ourselves out of a job. Um, right. So, and with that sense, making sure that the parents don't get too dependent on us. So I try my best to have the families involved in every single one of my sessions. They're down on the floor with me. I will model a technique and then hand the baby right over to them um, for them to try. And that has been pretty successful in, in trying to keep these plan of cares not years long. There's only unique cases where you have to keep kids for um, years on end, but ah, very challenging yeah. and really different <laughs> from adults. Yes, man, it seems like it. Um, so speaking of kind of being on the floor, I had yes. somebody sent in kind of a story and a question and I'll just read it. She says she's been working in adult home health for two years, but she recently took on a part-time job doing pediatric home health. She thought it was going to be a great opportunity to gain more experience and enjoyed working with the kiddos. So it's pretty fun and cool, but the part that she didn't like about it is that you have to get down on the floor and play with the kiddos and cannot stand bugs, especially roaches. One of her clients had a major roach issue and she's at the point where she just dreads going into the house. Uh, she tries to fight past it, but is constantly looking around to make sure that they're not nearby me or crawling on her. Uh, she left her shoes, took off her shoes at one point, which I don't know if that's common, but um, found a big roach climbing into her shoe Ugh. when she left. And she's seriously considering leaving pediatric home health because of it. So I guess her question is, is that, she goes, is that a petty reason that I should quit? Should I just suck it up? Or, you know, is there no. kind of tips or tricks or feedback for being down on the floor with the kiddos when you're in not a good environment? Because for me, we go into all sorts of environments and they're horrible, but I'm not having to be on the floor. Yes. Yeah. So how do y'all deal with situations like that? Uh, I guess I can go first. Yeah, um, go ahead. I would say no, not a petty reason at all. And for so many reasons, one, just health and safety. Um, you have to go into other children's homes that day or back to your own home or your adult patients. And if you, that house has any kind of contaminants, whether it's roaches or other things, you cannot be bringing that into other people's homes. So A, that would be my first reason um, why I would drop that case. Um, also, if you are so concerned about a road, like, you know, trying to check yourself and check your shoes for roaches, you're not going to be able to give quality care to that child because your brain is going to be completely elsewhere, just focusing on those things instead of what you're supposed to be doing. Um, the hard thing about this, though, is it really depends on your position as a therapist. And um, like for my, if, if this was one of um, a therapist in my department that I was mentoring, I would tell them that a, they need to have a, a talk with the family and you can still be kind and polite, but you have to be firm, but fair and kind of explain that this is an issue with, you know, sanitary reasons. Um, and if they still can't provide you a clean place to work, then I would recommend, um, you know, leaving the case. However, I think if you are a therapist who works for the county and per, you know, per the state law, they have to have services. I don't know if you would have that kind of power. Um, so I think it kind of depends on what like home health situation you're in, like what your employer is. Um, but other tips, I think if you still wanted to stick with that family is if it's a small child, I would try to elevate the surface and either work on a bed um, or a couch. But, you know, if there's roaches on the floor, there's probably on the furniture too. So I don't know if that's very helpful or not. Um, but this is not something that you need to continue to deal with. It really needs to be addressed in one way or another. 
So yeah, that's what I she think says. Those are the elevating the surfaces. If it's a if it's a young enough baby where you know you are on the floor, they're not yet walking or mobile. Um, elevating surfaces, bringing like a your own play mat that you then sanitize when yes. you leave onto the putting it on a table if there's a table and doing all of your floor time there. Um, the other thing, uh, once they're walking, I mean walking and or if there's any way that there's an out outdoor place, I will blame it on, you know, hey, let's, you know, go outside, get some vitamin D. Obviously that's weather dependent, but um, outside, I will try to get outside um, for like stinky homes or just for a variety of reasons. Um, and I guess my other point on things where this has come up within ECI um, is considering if and when CPS is appropriate, if it's, if it's a place that I don't know how often you run into those sorts of things with adults, but um, if it's a place where the child safe, this is where the child is and, and their major health and safety concerns, um, a CPS referral is, is next on, on my, you know, idea of, of solutions too. Yeah. And we, we do that in adults as well. It's just APS, right. right. And referring out to APS for unsafe living environments Mm-hmm. Do they do much? Not, yeah, <laughs> not same. really. I mean, this it, it's you know it's the the patient's right to be in their home, and sometimes that's is well we're we are no longer going into that environment. We've made the call to APS, but for us, usually the nurses kind of get you know <laughs> the screwed in a sense of they have yeah. to go for wound care yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But like physical the therapies. I feel like we have an easier time pulling out of a home for those reasons right. than like nurses do. Mm-hmm. But, but that's a good getting CPS involved. If it's truly something that's like that, or, you know, maybe saying to her, it's not a reason to pull out of all home health pediatrics. Correct. Completely, Absolutely. But yes, they're not all like that. Into those certain situations, trying to either remove yourself from the case after it's been addressed. Mm-hmm. So, perfect. Um, is there anything else before we get into kind of ho- the stories of home health? I've got one that's kind of crazy that someone sent in to me, but I don't know if there's any other topics or differences between peds or home health or adults that we haven't looked at. It seems like I mean, it's, I think... it's, it seems very similar but very different at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I would like to know uh, <laughs> what were your reasons for for I know you've kind of alluded to a couple, but what are your reasons for completely not wanting to ever go into peds? Um, I I'm, I don't do well with children, really personally. Uh-huh. I mean, I have my two kids and I love them and they're my kiddos, but I just I don't just I don't think I'm as like energetic that you need to be to be <laughs> a pediatric therapist, you know, and you're oh, it's playing and you're like happy. And <laughs> I just, I think my personality just doesn't mesh with it. And mm-hmm. dealing with parents, I think would be a big thing yeah. for me because parents are crazy. Like it's their kiddo, their baby, and they have all these expectations of what they want. And I know we get that in in the adult world too, with kids and whatnot. But I I can relate to that a little bit better 
and deal with it versus kids. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. I can't uh, do it. <laughs> no, that, that's completely fair. And I honestly, I had the same exact reasons when I was in PT school. Um, I didn't have really any younger cousins to ever, you know, to ever play with. I never held a baby before. I never babysat or anything like that. So I really had no idea how to interact with children. And I don't know, I don't know what made me grab this Pete's clinical. Maybe it was just, you know, divine intervention. I don't know. Um, but I told myself, you know, you really won't know until you try it. Um, and it was sometime during that clinical rotation. It was at a, um, it was partly in the hospital and partly outpatient, but what I got to realize was it was so incredibly rewarding um, watching these kids and feeling like you can truly make a difference, not only in their present life, but also in their future. And I don't know if you, you probably feel the same, Abby, um, For but sure. it's just, it's been, <laughs> I don't know. It has just been one of the greatest adventures of my life so far. Um, the parents, mm -hmm. like I said, are the best and worst part of the job as well, but it really is something you know, trying to help a family through um, this emotional roller coaster of having a child with special needs, you know, where, especially, I feel like it happens a lot too with the first time parents where you have this parent where, you know, as soon as, ever since the baby was conceived, they have all these dreams and expectations of what their child's life was going to be like. And then all of this happens and they realize that their child's not hitting their milestones. They were premature. They have some kind of other diagnosis. And it has been such a privilege for me to help families or guide through, you know, help them guide through that emotional roller coaster while trying to help their child achieve their skills. And it's just, I don't know, I'm getting like emotional about it because it was, it didn't really hit me until I became a mother too on just how, how strongly we can have an impact. And it's just something I love and I never thought I would. And I was just so glad that I gave it a chance. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah, you make me think... almost want to try it, but <laughs> I, the way you feel about peds and needing inter energy is the way I feel about adults and having to like small yeah. talk all day. I can't imagine yeah, like having to, uh -huh. having to like have these, and again, this is me fabricating what working in adults slash geriatrics must be like, but just mm -hmm. having to have the, the small talk all day. Um, oh, I talked to my patient about his squirrel feeders and the yeah, see <laughs> i i can't we at least get to sing songs and then with parents again i'm a i'm a mom as well so there's at least like there's always something we can we can chat about and it's at least i can keep my mind engaged whereas i don't know geriatrics and the small talk man it would get me but I, I feel like they have such good stories too like <laughs> i love my geriatrics <laughs> 70, 80-year-old, 90-year-olds. Like, I have a 95-year-old in my caseload who's doing amazing. Aww. And, like, they just, I don't know. We have a good time. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel like it's also, it is rewarding in a sense where these poor parents, I feel like they're on an island, you know, especially if they're a child, special needs, they have difficulty getting out, they've, you know, they've got all that anxiety, and we get the chance to kind of paddle out you know, to their island, you know, once a week or twice a week. And I do enjoy actually the small talk. And for me, I'm actually a very introverted person, but I feel like I do the small talk all me day too. long. Now that I'm a mom, it, it comes easily because like Abby said, you can connect with them about children and shared experiences. But I know that when I get home, man, my husband, um, he works in like a, he works in an office. He's got his headphones in all day and he's just like bursting to talk to me. 
when he gets home and the thing I want to do is speak when I get home. I mean, I'll play with my children and stuff. And he just like, da, 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 all yeah. like all afternoon. I'm like, dude, I just need to recharge. But I so that that's universal oh, too. Yes. <laughs> so I get home. I'm like, I don't want to speak. I don't want to talk. I don't want to do anything. I feel like I've yep. just been educating and talking and talking and yes. I'm the yes. same way. I'm super introverted. And so it takes a lot for me to have, like conversations over mm-hmm. and over and over again. It's very mentally draining. That What I love about the pace of home health, I think regardless, is I love that I have to be on for my sessions are typically, I have to be on for 45 minutes, but then I get 15 to 25 minutes to just uh, often Deep listen press. to podcasts and like yes. just be alone. Yes. And then like I can yes. turn it on and then off. I don't know how people do like, uh, outpatient or inpatient where all day you're still like socially doing something. I love the fact mm-hmm. that, that I have my alone time. And if I get a cancellation, I can be the person with headphones in and just not yes. do anything. So yes. I think that's also what, what saves me. Yes. When those... I worked in outpatient peds, it was like, I felt so burnt out by the end of each day. Cause whether you were talking to kids or parents or coworkers, you had to be on the entire mm-hmm. time. And something that I love about home health, which might be universal to adults as well is when I was working in outpatient, you know, I would be doing the exercises with the child. I'd be giving them the home exercise program, talking to the parents and yet they would just still not getting better. Or if they did, it would just take such a long time. And especially as a new grad, I really didn't understand why I wasn't seeing the progress that I was expecting. And whew, as soon as I got into the home, I completely understood why you get to yeah, exactly. So much of the family dynamic, the social dynamic, you know, some of these kids don't even have toys to play with, or they spend all day in their bassinet, Um, or there's people coming in and out of the home, or it's a roach infested home, and they don't like to get put down on the floor. I mean, home health is probably universal. It's just, to me, I think the best place to give care in that natural environment, because you have to be creative, use what you've got. I mean, I've used acorn sticks outside to pots and pans in the kitchen, whatever the family has um, to help you know, help them meet their goals. And I just love that compared to this artificial setting of being in the hospital or the clinic where you have everything you need, but they can't replicate that at home, you know? Yeah. And it's, um, that's, that's why I don't think I'll ever leave home health. It's just been so rewarding in that aspect. And that's the same for adults and you cannot replicate it in the inpatient setting in the hospital of how are we getting in and out of the tub, on and off the toilet, there's stairs, there's narrow pathways that you can't fit a walker into. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. they can walk with the walker just fine, but they can't use the walker in the house. So now what, you know? Like, or they can only use it. I had a patient the other day, they could only use the walker up until their shower door, and then they had to walk eight feet in this narrow pathway. And she was a a knee replacement. And so I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do? She had a um, hemi walker for some reason. But it's like you can't replicate and know those settings until you're in the house and problem solving. And you see something Mm -hmm. different. Every home is different. And every setup is different. And you're, you're, it's like solving a puzzle every time I go half the time. I think I know every, I don't think I know everything. But you think you know a lot of things. And then you see something completely different and you're trying to solve a way to do it safer. So I agree. Same thing. It's so much nicer in home health to be able to address all of these different scenarios. Yes. 
and equally exhausting. So not only are we talking yes. all day, but we're also critically thinking all yes. day. And it's completely exhausting by the end of the day. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> but rewarding for yes, the most yes. part. <laughs> I don't Most know, of the like time, Instagram is all the bad parts of home health, but and like I obviously wouldn't be doing it for four years if it wasn't a good fit for me, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, so I feel like even with within other therapists within our agency, you can pretty much quickly. I feel like if somebody makes it six months and for sure two years, you're like, oh you were, you're going to like, you got this, but people like yeah, before that six this. month and two year mark, you kind of fish out like, Oh, you, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be difficult. So I feel like you kind of just, you're able to roll with it and, and deal with the flexibility and the unknown and the, your day can change like on a dime or mm -hmm. that's really difficult for some people. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's move into kind of finish up with home health horrors. <laughs> that is the way to go, but it doesn't always have to be horrors, but I've got someone sent in the wildest story of their career. So this one's intense. She goes, I'm a pediatric home health PTA. The mother of one of my patients was arrested and charged with <gasps> sex trafficking. I had found out from the child's nurse because the child had moved to live with her dad who previously wasn't in the picture. And so I was notified of the treatment address change and that the father was now the main point of contact. The mother wasn't very involved in her child's therapy and she was often sleeping or not home during my visits. Other adults were often in the home who introduced themselves to me as family members. Now, seeing people asleep on the couches was nothing new to me, but near the time of the address change, I noticed two younger girls in their teens that were home over about a two-week period. We never exchanged words, but it did make me wonder since I hadn't seen them before. And the news, and I had a gut feeling that the teens involved were the ones I saw in the home. I searched articles and saw that it was the mom who admitted to driving these teen girls to dates and taking money from them. So it, she's like, I've been in uncomfortable homes before and my company fully supports me and understands my reasoning for declining them. But that's just, I mean, I know oh, in Texas, like we have to take the human trafficking right. course to be licensed because it's something that can be prevalent. And so it's something that, you know, you're kind of needing to look out for in a sense and be a, I think we're mandated reporters for stuff like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. too. It can be. Yeah. I have a, I thought you were about to tell the, the similar story. I had, um, during one of my visits, uh, within ECI, we were responsible for doing these like transition meetings to fill out the specific paperwork to discuss when they're going to transition like into the school district or what they're going to do beyond three. And I had a, a dad that was really difficult to get a, a hold of. The child was typically home with the nurse, but obviously this paperwork has to be done with parents. And so I had jumped through all home to be able to fill out this paperwork. And we had one more signature left and there was a knock at the door and it was the police coming to arrest him. And so I was, I was left, I was in the home, like sitting at the dining table, trying to sort out what was actually happening. And I don't know what I, this is the, the home health clinician in me, I guess I went outside. The nurse was still in there with the child. So the child was safe, but 
Um, I went outside and I talked to the police officers and I was like, I really just need one more signature on these forms before <laughs> I can turn them in. They got him out of the cop car. They asked him what ha which hand he wrote with. And I held the papers as he <gasps> signed them with handcuffs on. And I was oh just my like, God. That's impressive. like, I don't know what to say here, but I'm glad I got this paperwork done. Yeah. <laughs> oh my that God. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, was, that's definitely my, my craziest one, but sounds a little um, similar to hers. Wow. Well, so is I've this like a common thing? Jeez. I don't know. I hope not. Well, um, I've got two stories. One is really short and the other one's a pretty funny story. But I, remember, I think it was my first year in home health. And God knows why I stayed in home health after this. But um, this was before, you know, every morning, um, obviously before kids, I had time in the morning. Um, I would get up, eat my breakfast, and I'd watch the news. And I was watching the news one morning. They were talking about a drive-by shooting. I was like, oh, okay, you know, this neighborhood is pretty common. And as the camera rolls by, I, my chin dropped because that was the house I was scheduled to go to in, that morning. And there had been, like, this gang, like, gang-involved drive-by shooting there. Um, in the house? The same house? Yeah. Yeah, in that, like, it was my patient's house. Oh, my goodness. Um, and I was seeing it on the news, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So I called, I called my boss and I didn't know what to do. Um, and he's, my boss is one of the best bosses I ever had in my life. And um, he get, like put his dad voice on. He's like, Megan, absolutely not. He's like, I will call the family. We are discharging the case. You are not going to go within 10 feet of that house. You understand me? I'm like, yeah, okay. 10 whatever. feet, like, like a mile yeah. or two. Yeah, my, I can't remember the metric he used. Um, but it was like just wild um, that that happened. And I can't, I don't even remember what circumstances of that because I wasn't allowed to contact the family or anything he just wanted us to like be totally done with them um I do have I can tell a colleague story but I'm kind of going from memory and I can't remember all of the circumstances um of it but I have had a colleague that she was telling me um that the house that she was going to regularly one day she couldn't go because it was raided um because the dad was running a meth lab in the backyard oh my goodness yes <laughs> So, and then, um, I can't, yeah, so I can't see if it was me, I would be able to like give all the, you know, the big story of it and not, um, yeah. <sighs> so that let me seems see. universal too of, yes. you know, meth labs and <laughs> yeah, it's just crazier in all of these stories that it's what I guess my perspective is it's one thing when these are like all adults choosing to make these decisions, but when you're in there to see a child, it's like there's it feels like there's an added dimension of just like what is happening? There are there are children here. Right. Like, there's children here. Like they shouldn't yes. be exposed to these things. Shootings you know? and, and yeah. drug yeah, and labs. Be, and, yeah. It can make it so heavy. I agree. Yeah. You know, when you come home and you feel so discouraged and it's like I would adopt them all if I could. Yes, you know, exactly. um, just out of these horrific environments. Yeah. Yeah. The world I think for me. Oh, I've was... definitely had, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that the other story that I had on hand was um, just in this and going back to the cockroaches too. I had um, a moment <laughs> where I mascot. left. Yeah, I, I left a house and um, I was about to stop at Starbucks and I was, I don't, far enough, I could see Starbucks, but still had, I don't know half a mile drive and I start to feel something like on my upper thigh oh, and no. 
it oh. is most definitely a cockroach and I could see oh. where I was going and just had to like figure out a way to manage my car to get it to Starbucks to pull over and like shook out I like went in the bathroom shook out my pants did everything and that's about the last time that I ever wore now I wear joggers and I I I take off my shoes out respect for them but in in a home that I have questions for I will never take off my shoes again because I don't know I don't know how that cockroach got there but joggers all the way and shoes on if I if I ever feel uncomfortable yes so we're and not you're allowed to take our shoes off technically because they say it's a oh really health and safety hazard they have you put shoe covers on interesting because oh, I have people now, that request true. you to take your shoes off uh-huh. for uh-huh. reasons um now I do sometimes depending on the house but otherwise we're putting on shoe covers Interesting. Interesting. In daycares, we have to do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Yeah. But the same thing, like if I see the family not wearing shoes, I take off my shoes, especially because, you know, when you're on the floor with the child too, I use my legs and my body a lot for props, you know, popping children up and it does get clunky and awkward with shoes on. And then also you're on their play space. I don't want to bring any germs or anything with me, you know, onto that play mat. Um, But like Abby said, though, if a, if I have questions about that house or if I see other people wearing their shoes, then I definitely wear my shoes. Um, I do have a cockroach story, actually, that came to me. Again, this was probably the first six months of me doing home health, young and dumb. Um, whenever I went went into evals, you know, I had my backpack with my standardized test, my legal pad and, you know, goniometer, all that kind of stuff. Um, and as I was doing my evaluation, I can see through the door frame, we were in the child's bedroom, and I could see on the door frame that there was this cockroach just crawling down from the ceiling, down onto the floor. And I was like already like, you know, distracted and, you know, super skeeved out. And I'm trying to talk to the, talk to the mom and do the evaluation. I just, I lost track of the cockroach. I couldn't figure out where it was. And after I leave the house, I was with a service coordinator because um, this was an EI child. And she did the evaluation with me. And as we were walking out of the home, she goes, Megan, dump your bag. And I was like, what? She's like, I think I saw the cockroach go in your backpack. And <laughs> so I was on this, I was on a busy street, man. I flipped that thing upside down. I dumped everything. And sure enough, there was two cockroaches in the bottom of my backpack. So that was the last time I ever bring anything other than my body into houses. Yeah. So skeevy. I couldn't imagine no one crawling on my leg while I was driving. I would have, I would have died. Ca- I a car crashed. Yeah, it was awful. absolutely. It was truly awful. Like just grinning and bearing. Oh my gosh, it should be horrible. Yeah, oh, like yeah, I would have freaking lost it. So ew, cockroaches can't stand it. This is why the cockroach is the home health mascot. Yes, <laughs> because they are everywhere. They are, and that's the thing is, is there's. I didn't realize how other people lived right yes, until you exactly. start doing home health and you just see you see every environment and you know I go from like a, a trailer home to a three million dollar home the next uh-huh. visit or and then everything in between so absolutely and the people too I find that yeah. some of my nicest families are the ones that are living you know in the trailer homes or the smaller homes mm-hmm. and then some of the most incredibly difficult people to work with yes. in those you know million dollar mansions yes. so, so it's very humbling experience as well <laughs> yes but we just kind of adjust I kind of adjust how I am depending on the environment sometimes mm-hmm. it's 
it's definitely rewarding. So I agree. All right. Well, I think that kind of sums it up unless every, unless y'all have anything else, I think we kind of did a good job hitting most of all things, pediatric home health. I know I learned mm-hmm. a lot of yes, kind of some of the you know, things if, y'all have to go through or differences and definitely. If we, do have, if we do have extra time, I did want to pose a question, at least to Abby. Um, yeah. Another thing that is, I feel universal to pediatric home health, which maybe not in adults, but I find that getting equipment for children is the bane yeah. of my existence. Mm. And I don't know the process for you, um, Abby, or even if you guys have to do that in adult home health. Um, but my God, it is probably just up there with scheduling for me. Yes. And trying yeah. to get equipment evaluations, write LMNs, get it approved by insurance. It's a mess. Yes. Is that yeah. universal? Yeah, that's yeah, we do the, it too. The, okay. Is it, is it a headache, especially since you're dealing like we are talking months for us. If you're not dealing with the patient over periods of time, what's it like in adults doing that? Um, well, so for mostly it's wheelchair, like power wheelchair evaluations for me that Uh I work with a few, we have a few different like DME wheelchair vendors and it takes, I mean, like I just did a power wheelchair evaluation a few months ago for one of my patients and it's doing the whole evaluation, then typing up the long report. I have kind of a uh-huh. template that I use. And you kind of fill in the the specifics of the patient. And then the wheelchair guy does, he goes and gets assigned by the doctor. And they do all the paperwork, uh, getting it approved by Medicare. Um, they Most of our patients have Medicare. And so they uh-huh. cover like 80-20, but they usually have a secondary. And they cover pretty much 100%. So they pick up that last 20%, but it took, it took just, yeah. Cause I did his research. So he got his power wheelchair from when I saw him to when it was delivered two months. Oh my gosh. That's yeah, impressive. But, I would kill for yeah, that. That's amazing. Oh yeah. From, from even, I mean, we face issues even just, and this is not just within my agency. I feel like there's so many peace therapists just finding DME companies and people and providers that you can rely on to then schedule Mm -hmm. with, to then do the paperwork, to then get the pediatrician's approval, to then get insurance approval. Yeah. uh, Six Mm -hmm. months. And it only got worse post COVID, but yeah, it's, it's multiple denials, writing appeals Mm -hmm. for, for things like gate trainers, wheelchairs, if they need it, bath chairs, orthotics. Yeah. Standards. It's, and then that's, yeah, that's not even including doing orthotics and things like that, like SMO. Oh, yeah, orthotics, that's so. a whole other, yeah, yeah. that's a whole yeah. other piece. Um, especially because most of our children are on Medicaid, so they will cover 100%, but, man, they make you jump through 100 yes. different hoops. And it takes, for me, I'm noticing six months to a year to get equipment. And then with the rate that children grow, by the time they get that piece yeah. of equipment, it doesn't work for them. Yeah. Or there's always just weird little issues, you know, with, kids tone and scoliosis so this part doesn't fit the way that you expected it to and then once it took you know six months for the chair to get here now you have to replace the headrest which will take another three to six months and it's just right oh that i feel like you can never seem, get it right that just doesn't seem like doesn't seem good i mean it almost no. seems pointless in a sense because you're waiting this yeah. long yeah that just, there's got to be a better way because right? we i used to work with uh we'd get people like braces or afos and or prosthesis even and we had a person that would come to the home for the evaluations and they would do I would just almost set it up and they would do everything else kind of with me 
but they did the paperwork or if we need someone with an AFO, we'll send them to hangar and they'll just go to the clinic and get it done that way. But tub like tub benches or, or bathroom equipment or walkers or those type of things, I'm usually telling them like you just gotta get it off Amazon. <laughs> really yeah. it's gonna be faster versus if we're ordering it then it's you're you're paying a certain amount to get a roll later that they're going to make you pay about as much as if you were to just buy it off Amazon. Right. And you can get it in two days. Yeah. And that's the hard thing with these more intense pieces of equipment, like gate trainer standards. Um, The markup for these are just incredible. Like they're like $2,000, $3,000. And for me, I believe the markup is because most of the time Medicaid will pay for it. So if the government agency is going to pay for it, then they're just going to jack up the prices to whatever it is. But Unfortunately, right. the families that have private insurance that won't yes. pay for it, they end up having to shell it out of pocket or we're trying to sh- like um, source a loaner or something like that. But even because Medicaid's paying for it, they're going to make you wait, you know, nine months to a year to get it. Yeah. It's so That's nuts because you could yes. gain so much. Like if you're waiting for a standard or gate trainer, mm-hmm. and then how are you right. working on those things? And you're yeah. like nine months down the road. Absolutely. And it, it looks a lot wasted like... time. Yeah. yeah. It looks a it lot looks... like modifying loaned equipment, like things that yes. in school, if you ever showed someone like, this is what I'm using to get this kid to stand, it would just be like, did you learn anything? But it's literally <laughs> just using whatever you have to try to get something to, to work, to get a kid weight bearing or that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I will say orthotics, your, your explanation of the adult orthotics process is pretty similar for us as far as the orthotist comes to the home and, and that process can little bit less excruciating but equipment is just a beast it is messy we call those franken chairs where we just try to piece together a bunch of yeah, things from yeah. our equipment and just like make this weird uh device that kind of works but doesn't really um yeah. luckily if our children are in the ei program they do have loaner closets where we can borrow one and that's typically where as soon as i think this child will need something i will start the process because i know it's going to take like almost a year to get it right um yeah but yeah, it's a mess. So I'm glad, I'm glad we talked about that because I, right now I have like three LMNs pending right now that I need to do and I'm just dreading it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. And it's Man, totally, that, that's I bet, totally... And you're probably ordering a lot of equipment for most clients. Like, do you feel like you have to do that for a lot of people? Like I rarely, you know, I'll do a wheelchair eval once in a while, but it sounds like say probably... It's 25%. Yeah, I would say about 25% of my caseload has some form of of equipment or orthotics. I mean, maybe even closer to 30, 40 in thinking about orthotics. Yeah, same. I would say about 50 for for mine, but that's by choice because I typically go after referrals that um, they're a little bit more medically complex. So they've got a lot of neurological impairments or um, other body systems involved, which would mean that they would need equipment. So mine's a little bit higher. So I kind of do this to myself, but I do enjoy working with that (laughs) patient population. Same, same. Yeah. 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 And the, I mean, the frustrating thing is that all of the additional work is, which again, I'm salaried, but regardless, it's completely time other than the time you're spent with the patient doing the evaluation. And so that's also just an added layer of the system is so inefficient and I'm not even really, mm-hmm. no one's on our end is really benefiting. It's literally out of the goodness of our hearts because you really could just as yes. a therapist, just turn a blind eye to the fact that that's a need and mm-hmm. it definitely can be an ethical. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, so 
regarding that, do you, like if I do, like for me, and it, like when I did my power wheelchair evaluation, like I was in the home, we were doing the evaluation. I only get paid per that visit and it was a certain point value. Well, then I'm at home and I'm typing up the wheelchair evaluation right. and I'm coordinating with the DME person. I put in like what we call non-visit activity. I put in to where I'm getting compensated for my extra time spent outside of that visit. Oh, that's awesome. Are y'all able to do anything <laughs> like that? That sounds like a dream. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Because no. like, I'm not, I'm not doing free work. No, we only get paid, um, for the visit. So those, you know, six, 45 minutes to 60 minutes and the documentation that we do outside of that, the elements, all of that's on our own time. Yeah. I mean, again, mine's salaried, but it's the same structure in Pete's, I think. Yes. For and we, most. our company does give the highest rates, I guess, per visit to try to account for some of that, but still it does get frustrating when you have a lot of those in a row because you're really only getting paid for those, you know, four units that you're there. Yeah, I would not. I would. Did you ever ask? Like, would they compensate an hourly rate or? Well, especially in pediatrics, because Medicaid is about ninety-five percent of our kids are on Medicaid. The our profit mar- margins are extremely small. Um, at least what I know with our Medicaid and reimbursement rate, the therapist is already taking about eighty percent of that from our hourly rate. So there's really not there's not much meat on these bones here for pediatric home health. No, same in Texas. It's, I think we just had a meeting yesterday talking about how the rates haven't changed in 10 years. So yes. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And yet we are, we're all coming out with more debt, more everything and nothing has changed for reimbursement. Same here. Do y'all get raises? (laughs) Yes. Not really. (laughs) Yes and no. Yeah. 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 Again, and it's, it's hard because I could demand, you know, raise here and there, but it's just not, it's just not realistic. Um, with my job, not only do I do outpatient care, but I'm also um, lead therapist or lead PT of the company. So I do get a small stipend for doing some admin stuff. And because of that, I'm privy to more backend information of just like how much we're getting paid and how much everything costs. And there's just really not a lot of room <laughs> for extra raises and things like that. I mean, I feel like we'd go belly up if we had to do that. It's crazy. Man, that sucks. It does. So as much as I love peds, you got to really do it. You don't do this to become rich for sure. You do it because you love it. Patience and interactions, but you're never going to make buco books doing this. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for joining me uh, today for this episode. And we, um, I appreciate it and uh, kind of get all things, get all things peds home health. So maybe I'll have to, maybe I can get some memes out of this and do some yes. peds memes. <laughs> That's great. We're very like, appreciative of the humor. While, but... Yes. And you know, maybe we'll have to do a part two. Cause there's just, like I said, there's so much involved with peds. Yeah, definitely. Um, for sure. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening and tune in every Monday. I'll post a a new episode regarding new topics and always stories. So thanks again. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you.